time for another episode of Molly's Friends. Hello, and welcome back to Molly's Sleazy Friends, recorded here at beautiful Little Everywhere Studios. My guest today is the formidable author and uh, polyasthete, Carson Mel. Howdy. Welcome, welcome to Molly Sleazy Friends, Carson. Thanks for having me. Carson uh, just made a really awesome cartoon called Tarantula that I'm a huge fan of. That Thank you. I think uh, is is destined to be a cult a cult favorite for years to come. That's uh, what I was thinking. I didn't I didn't really think it was gonna like succeed commercially. I was just like. I think this, hopefully we were making something that could be like a cult status thing. Everything you make is so great and feels like Thanks. it is all of just like a universe. Uh, I was thinking about it when I was watching the show. Tarantula, you can watch uh, the first two episodes on YouTube, by the way. Um, can you still access the other episodes? One and two are on YouTube. Uh, everything else is on TBS. Or the, like their app, their, you have to download an app, and, you, and then you have to talk to your parents about their cable subscriber, and then your mom has to remember a password. So <laughs> I just recommend getting it on iTunes, unless you already have that TBS situation going. Then. Oh, yeah. Get the whole season on iTunes, Tarantula. Uh, it is a a cartoon, an adult cartoon, I want to say. Yeah. I, I, I Yeah. It's an adult cartoon. We say shit a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's it all takes place at a apartment complex, and it's about the denizens of the apartment complex and their adventures, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the best. And it's like takes place in um, Southern California, a fictional sort of almost inland empire town, very inspired by Monrovian Arcadia, called uh, Los Policios, which there's like a whole um mythology to the town that I know that I'm actually I think I'm going to do a podcast with Echo Johnson. Oh cool. Afterwards. Well we were just talking about this before we started recording but uh you were saying that you own you own your characters. Yeah. And uh I lease I lease them when I'm working on like a project with the man and uh <laughs> because the man doesn't really like me but some of the man's underlings are like think that I'm hip and then they work with me and they find out I'm the wrong kind of hip. <laughs> 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 and then it's too late, and then the project's done, and Ted Turner has to downsize his yacht. And uh, but I got to make an expensive art project. So yeah, it feels. I mean, that's what's so great about it was when I was watching it. I've I've read all your books. Um, Carson's written a bunch of books. Uh, the first one I read was called Saguaro. And Saguaro. Saguaro. No one outside of Arizona can say that. I say it like a valley girl. I'm like Saguaro. Well, the the thing is, is that that when you grow up in Arizona, we're really proud of that cactus because it's like it only grows in Arizona and Mexico, so it's like our thing. And so everyone's always talking about it. And there's like Saguaro Hotel, Saguaro Road, Saguaro High School. So you're just like everyone knows what this is. And then you leave Arizona and. No one cares about Arizona or anything in it. And you're like, I feel like we've talked about this before, but we're very like, I feel like we're similar because you have a a deep love for sort of like the, the, the flatlands of Mm -hmm. Arizona and, and Los Angeles. Oh yeah. Like, well, your, your Instagram, like you're constantly putting stuff up that I either, either have seen and love or, uh, 
am like, oh, I got to see that in person. No, like, you I also love the have, valley. You, yeah, I love the valley. You have a great Instagram also. We're Thanks. both We're both very into like, I mean, I feel it's like the mundane, the, the brutalist, you know, the fading infrastructure. Yeah, well, for me too, like I, I uh, hate fancy stuff. But, like, I love fancy on a budget because I think it's, like, adorable and industrious. And I just really respect when people can, like, you know, they have, like, a budget of 200 bucks and they make something look cool. Because, like, if you have a bunch of slaves in a marble quarry and you make Paris, it's like, who gives a shit? You know? <laughs> like, I I don't like Paris. I, well, Wait, I mean, is that the, how they made Paris? I don't know. I mean, you know that evil shit was happening to build that place. No, you're place. right. I watched some. I was watching a lot of documentaries about Soviet Russia recently, and there was a lot of like, the city was built by the people, and then they were buried in it because yeah, <laughs> it took it everything out of them. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing too, and all that like ostentatious golden stuff is just like, it's I. I love I the pyramids though. It. Yeah, I love the pyramids. I, I when somebody you. pointed out to me, they were like, "But you're like Jewish, like you're maybe you're <laughs> allowed to like them." Then. <laughs> I just think they're impressive, and to me, they're more impressive than than Paris. You know, yeah, I'm but like, they're, yeah, they're cool. They are cool. The pyramids are cool, and there's like a whole weird. And also, it was so long ago. Yeah, I I don't know. I still though, it's like I like the valley more than the pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> There are some pyramids in the valley, I think. I just I'm found sure out there <laughs> there's a pyramid I've always admired that's in uh, that mid-city cemetery. You can see it. Like, I've never actually seen it up close, but I always oh, see it. Oh, that Black Pyramid in Brand yeah. Park. Yeah. And it's uh, it's Brand. It's it's his body. Yeah, that, Mr. Brand. That that park is like um, like this, sort of my spiritual center in L.A. County. I go there all the time. Oh, and that, cool. And like... It's great that you can like explore it and find all these weird things that are there and you're alone because yeah. nobody hikes there. I just went there for the first time accidentally. I was like driving around Glendale and found it. I was like, what is this and how have I never seen it before? Yeah. And then I was looking it up a lot later and I was like, I guess the the sort of weird Spanish Moorish uh, library building was because the guy, he went to the Chicago World's mm -hmm. Fair. And just like I will make one of those. Yeah, I like that aspect of of LA in general. The, well, yeah, the folly architecture. I have a theory actually that that building, that Spanish Moorish weird thing with like weird emblems on it, was sort is sort of the parent of all of those weird buildings in Atwater because they those were built maybe like sixty years later, and I think everyone had probably driven by Doctor Brand's house and is like, it's beautiful, and let's like. <laughs> What can you do? can you make me one of those for like how whatever a house was back then like seven hundred fifty dollars, <laughs> and they're like yeah we can make one of those for seven hundred fifty bucks. So. Yeah, I respect that, and I I do. I even like when people try to like put the tiny mansion on the lot, and you're just like that's not a mansion. Yeah, it's just a, a two story ranch house that has little Italianate silly things on it. Totally. Um, so yeah, you had a book also just come out recently mm -hmm. that was the fourth in a what do you call it a quadrology yeah <laughs> i didn't know how many there were going to be but yeah there now there's <laughs> you decided there were four at a certain point no i just kept writing it and then it and then it was like told me it was ending kind of thing <laughs> you know what i mean uh 
I want to describe it as being a little bit like Ender's Game, but you haven't seen that or read it. Ender's Game is like a, a bad sci-fi book, though, so I don't want to like, mm-hmm. but it's about someone getting put in like a simulation where they have to play a video game to like determine the fate of the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Sounds similar. Yeah. Do you want to describe Field Notes from Dimension X? Because I feel like. Yeah. Uh, it's about like a very ambitious uh, half Hopi Indian astronaut. And well, it starts like. It's a sort of a dual narrative thing. I, I was reading a lot of Murakami, and I noticed that he does this thing where he tells two stories at once, and all of them have cliffhangers. So it's like, in order to figure, find out what happened in that cliffhanger, you have to read another chapter, but then you're left with another cliffhanger. So it's just like this weird double cliffhanger thing that drives you through the books, even if they don't make a ton of sense. And I wanted to I sort of like stole that structure. It's a good structure. Jillian Flynn does that too. Oh yeah. In like Gone Girl, you're like, that's part of why you have to read the whole thing. Yeah, you can't. It's like, oh, I just read this chapter by this person, <clears throat> and now I got to see what the counter narrative is. And the, yeah, it's it's smart. You know who else did that? That is the first books I ever read a lot of was uh, R.L. Stein. Oh really? Double narrative? Like Not that? double narrative. Just every chapter and ending with a cliffhanger. Cliffhangers are awesome. They're awesome. And like in R.L. Stein books and Fear Street were the first books. They're like you know really good, just like pulpy teen horror mm-hmm. set all set in a town. Did you ever read those? No, because I think again it was like that's yeah a the little bit. Thing. You were like reading real books at that point. Yeah, because I was probably. F- 14 yeah, when they yeah, yeah. You're, out. you're working your way through the beat generation. Yeah, well, no, I actually could only read Kurt Vonnegut in high school. <laughs> Nothing else could keep That's my attention. That's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. Well, it's funny, and I really resisted that. It was funny, like, through my 20s, I was like, actually, Kurt Vonnegut's not that good. And then, like, I turned 30 and reread Slaughterhouse Five. I'm like, yeah, it's the best book I've ever read. <laughs> like, he's just, like, very, very insightful and uh, just, like, that type of writing where someone worked really hard to make it easy to read so you don't have to work at all. Yeah, it is It is both accessible and brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like your writing also reminds me a lot of Pinchon. And when I was watching Tarantula, I was very mm. like, this is great because it's like a Thomas Pinchon-like <laughs> animated show. I've never read any of his. But what? Yeah. That's crazy to me. It's it's so, it, I mean, maybe that's why you can like get so close to it and yeah, not, not be like derivative it. of it. You should read uh, Inherent Vice because that's the one that's really easy to read. And okay. all, I mean, he has like... It's it's like people talk about it like it's very difficult, but it's like so much of it is about like funny names, mm-hmm. which I feel like is just something that always works on me. If yeah. somebody is good at funny names, like when people are bad at funny names and they try too hard, that is affected and mm-hmm. bad. But like when somebody actually is like, oh, those syllables just sound really good together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up with fake business names and like because I'm when we were making Tarantula, we decided like it was going to be reality askew. Like Springfield, like we would never use real stuff. We'd make our own version of all of it, and that's like the funnest game. Oh, it's also yeah, it's very Springfieldian. Uh, It just feels like a real like a like a giant world where I I'm like I don't know where the boundaries of this place are, but it feels you know it just feels like so of your imagination. Well, we actually drew maps of it, and we knew where things were, and like I had one good writing teacher and like a dozens of bad or mediocre writing teachers and he was always like people say characters fate but like 
setting is fate also. And so I found that like if you're like, you know, they call it like world building when you're setting up a show, but it like literally is just that. If you just start committing, like the river is here, the the taco place is here, and then you're uh, suddenly you're like, oh shit, like to get to the taco place, if it floods, you have to cross the river. And then all of a sudden that's like a story. So <laughs> it, like it, if you commit to the real, a reality that even only you have access to, and of course you can slide things around if you have to, but like I try really hard to just be like, if they're going to go there, they have to hike this way. And the hot springs is over there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just like little things. Like when my, I was drawing the map, or I had my friend Sammy Harkham, who's like an awesome comic artist, draw the map. And he put he put this pond in between the hot springs and the road. And then we had to – and then me and – when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, then there should be somebody who, like, has a fairy there that you have to bring a six-pack. <laughs> and then that character, like, starts to build. You draw them. And then, you know what I mean? So it's just, like, just committing to those details that seem inco- inconsequential is, like, I think the fastest way to do world building. Well, the know? second episode, which is the episode where they go on the mushroom quest mm-hmm. to find the – they. It takes place. Uh, it's like a bottle episode. Is that what a bottle episode is? I actually never know what that. A means. bottle episode is one location. Oh, I thought a bottle episode is like one two characters on an adventure. That's not no. at all what that is. Does that have a name? It's uh, called two characters on yeah. an adventure. <laughs> you can, I think you can name it. <laughs> uh, but it's two of the characters from from the building go on a quest to. A camp at a place that has giant mushrooms that you sleep on, and you have vivid dreams, uh, and that. Yeah, I was just like, you have obviously thought so much about like what the steps are on the journey to the mushroom vision quest uh, place that I was like, not only is there like the town, there's like a world outside the town. Well, a lot of and 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 weirdly, like a lot of that is based on real stuff in the valley or just like moments that tickled me. Like my cousin Grant and I, we hike that brand, brand park I was talking about, and there's this dude. Who's sort of like just there's a lot of oddballs there who are really cool and they like they're always there or they hike a ton. And one dude is named Beamon and he hikes with his dog all the time. And he's been hiking there since the seventies. He showed us pictures of himself, like with a full head of hair and like all of his friends in the seventies and like they're like rocker dudes hiking Brand Park. And he and one time he was telling us about this cave that he found and he was like, Yeah, man, just go down through Mushroom Valley. <laughs> and I was like and I was like, That's such a cool name. And so then that was like I put that on the map and when I was having my friend draw it, and then it was like, Okay. And he drew the mushrooms really big. And I was like, Oh, that'd be cool if you could like nap on a mushroom. <laughs> so that's again like another just stupid little detail that can like build into a story, you know. Well, yeah, I'd also by that point in the show, it's only the second episode, but you're like, oh, this show can really like go anywhere it wants mm-hmm. uh, with these characters, and uh, I just I really love it. And everybody watch Tarantula. Uh, you can download it. Um, yeah, I mean, were you into hiking also in Arizona? Is that a big hiking? Yeah, but my hiking in Arizona was less like exploration and more like I was like a a pretty overweight 17-year-old and was like, I'm just going to hike this same mountain every day. It was like more like just a Stairmaster made of rock kind of thing. (laughs) But it's pretty at the top, so. You're from Phoenix? Yeah. And are you fond of Phoenix? Yes and no. Yeah, I like it when it's not hot. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then when, whenever I'm back there in the winter or fall, I'm like, I can move here. And then in the summer, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and your family will call you and just be like, don't don't visit. <laughs> like they're exhausted by the heat, you know. Is everywhere really well air conditioned inside? Super, super, yeah. That's like a place, other places where I feel like they have better air conditioning. In L.A., we don't prepare for any weather. It's raining today, and you can just see that, like, everything goes haywire Yeah, because no one's prepared. It's not even raining very hard. No, no. And it's just raining for, like, longer than 20 minutes, and mm-hmm. everything just goes crazy. Yeah. My brother just sent me these pictures of, like, a tree collapsed across the street from him and crushed a Jeep. Yeah. And I was like, it's not even, like... There's not even winds or anything or like light. Maybe it was lightning, but. Maybe true. I mean, that's the weird thing is like we think like we we just get spoiled with or like used to a certain kind of thing. But trees probably also like are like, man, it's only sunny here. I'm not going to make that tree hormone that protects against rain. (laughs) I'm not putting those anti-rain roots out. It's never going to rain again. And then they're and then they're taken for a ride. Taken for a ride. Yeah, I I never know what to do. But, like, I feel like also when it's cold, like, people don't know what to do because houses aren't actually insulated. We're, like, just assume it's going to be 70 degrees all the time. And then yeah. anything else, we're like, what do we do? Well, my I'll, I think for until I was 29, for the first seven years I lived in L.A., I didn't have heat or air conditioning. Yeah, and you just sort of go with it. You're just like. You just bundle up. Bundle up. Take an extra shower. Yeah. And in the summer, you, well, it's, you know, getting worse now, but it was yeah. only like 200 degree days a year <laughs> in L.A. proper. I you were saying 200 degree <laughs> days. <laughs> Not yet. That's but Arizona. Yeah, two 100 degree days No, a we'll year. get there. I'm like very much not looking forward to it getting hot again. I'm, I'm like trying to focus really hard on all the green, rainy stuff. Well, I'm, it's going to be beautiful summer. Yeah. But like you just said, I guess. No, I just, I'm like, I, I can see already when everything's going to be like brown and dead. And I'm just like, think about. It won't, that won't be till like proper fall this yeah. year. I don't think, <laughs> I think the summer is going to be really green. All right. I, I take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so Carson, yeah, you're also um, an artist, which is uh, you animate. I, I don't know if I would call you the, are you the character designer on Tarantula? No, my cousin Grant Filardo and uh, and then a, a team of people at Rough Draft Studios that did the show were character designers. My cousin did all the heads for the most part. And then I did a few because he – his, like, contract ran out as we were ending production and I was done writing and recording, so I had time. So I designed a lot of the main characters. He refined a good number of them. And then, um, like, I, I designed a bunch of characters in that episode – called The Shade that's about Weird River, that's about, like, the L.A. River, basically. <laughs> Our version of the L.A. River. Like a more nightmarish version. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah. yeah. Did you um, voice cast, like, were you thinking of people for voices as you were writing it, or did you write the characters and then find the voices? Well, for all the main characters, we did, like, a proper casting, and we just found awesome people. But I knew Dan Backadall, who plays uh, Lucas Reed, the writer, character the sci-fi writer and then he would he played like frank the the homeless guy with a real raspy voice and like he he played a lot of characters and i knew that he was going to be like my right hand man on a lot of that and then 
like Lauren Weedman, who plays Bess Pearl, she ended up doing a lot of the women characters. But like long story short, the I knew Dan Back at all was gonna be it, everyone else was cast. And then I had like because I work on Silicon Valley, I had like the advantage of just writing Mike Judge and being like, Can you give me a list of awesome voice <laughs> actors and he was like and he just sent me a bunch of people he thought were great. So there's a lot of like People will say the show reminds them of King of the Hill. Yeah, it's very like I I really like King of the Hill. Me too. Uh, and yeah, and just like in Beavis and Butthead too, I'm just like it's kind of of this like this lower class milieu that I'm mm-hmm. like it's I like just like watching these people interact and like have adventures and I'm glad I don't need any like overarching plots because I just want to see like <laughs> all the weird shit they get into. Yeah, uh, I thought I was writing plots. That's me. No, That's I my mean, version. <laughs> it's, it's the world is so deep. That's the thing is like it's immediately you're like I you know. Everybody's so lived in and all the places are so lived in. And maybe yeah. it's also because it's like a parallel version of things I know in real life. And, you know, you were saying it's like the Inland Empire. It's like a, kind of reminded me of Love and Rockets a little bit in that way. Where oh, you're cool. just like, oh, it's like a parallel version of like a real place that I've been. Well, and that's also the advantage of like I sold the show in 2013 and I didn't go into production until 2016. Which felt like a long time, but now it doesn't seem that long. Uh, it was like a different universe, so. Yeah, and well, what I and what I mean is like I had forever to think about it because nothing was happening with it, and I just kept making shorts and writing down notes, and uh, like there's been just a couple times in my life I was possessed by a character, and I can just be Echo Johnson whenever, so it's like you know, uh, not. Where did Echo so Echo Johnson is the main character of Tarantula mm-hmm. and he is uh he's a tattoo artist yep. with sort of like a Prince Valiant hairstyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh how what possessed you? Uh I was actually really sad at the time. And then I was on a road trip and started just talking in the voice. And originally <laughs> like I was writing like a whole like the voice came to me immediately. And I was writing a whole story about the character, which I still might write someday, about uh, him getting wrongly imprisoned. And he looks enough like Jesus that this like evil preacher in the prison like uses him to manipulate these other prisoners into like, this is the second coming of Christ. So I had this whole crazy story that I abandoned. But I knew he was a tattoo artist and all that stuff. And then... It was more fun to just let him live in those little vignettes that I made for the internet because Tarantula was a web series first. And that was super fun. And I realized I didn't need to – and weirdly with all of my characters, like if I force them into like a really huge narrative, they don't really have time to reveal who they are to me. And I think that's one of the reasons that like – in really plotty movies, the characters are always so thin because it's like, I don't know, you you come with an idea and c- characters, like true characters in your mind aren't really drawn to that stuff because I think it's almost like they feel disrespected. They're like, I, I want to <laughs> tell you who I am. Don't tell me I'm a bank robber. Because like, if you sat with the character, it might be like. I, the last thing I would ever do is rob a bank. Who do you think you are? You know? <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot too because I feel like all my favorite bits in movies are just like 
when actors are just kind of like stretching out, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and like in a movie that's really densely plotted and there's no time for just like asides, you know, Yeah. because all I really like are asides. Yeah. Well, the secret is, is to like, well, I don't know the secret, but I think like if you can make the asides feel like, like, uh, like for instance, like I think like when Mark Frost and David Lynch sat down to make Twin Peaks, they're like, let's make a spiritual show about like how we feel about the spirit world and like the things we can't see. And then I think like, well, a murder mystery would be a good plot for that. Murder mystery is always a good plot because it always gives you something to work towards. That's why those Arl Stein books had good cliffhangers because it's like, well, somebody got murdered. Yeah. That'll take me to the end of the book trying to find out who it di- who did it. Yeah. Uh, it's a good plot engine. Yeah, because if you can just make it a murder mystery and then you can just, because that show obviously also is a spiritual heir of Tarantula. I feel like it's just like, yeah, if, if you have a central thing that everyone is is organized around then you can just, like, make a bunch of fun characters. Yeah, and plot is, like, kind of just a series of tricks, which is one of the reasons I think people have a hard time with it because you spend all this time, like, cultivating what you like in your own voice and all that stuff that sounds pretentious when you first hear it in writing school, and then you're like, oh, that stuff actually is important. And then, but then you're like, oh, okay, there's all these little tricks I can do to tighten it up. And it feels hacky, and maybe it is, but it just makes things more compelling. Well, I feel like it's like if you can, it's like a magic trick. It's like if you if you notice it too much, then it's probably mm-hmm. not working very well. But like a good, you know, a good writer can do stuff like that and stay ahead of you so that you don't, you know, you want to go with it, mm-hmm. that you don't, you don't feel the, you know, that's why I don't fully believe in like the, all the save the cat stuff because it's like the plot twist doesn't have to come at like page 65 no. or whatever but like some people i think are wired to be like if it doesn't come there then like it's not a movie but but you know what i don't think they are wired to do that i think like they're wired to do that if the thing is kind of mediocre yeah well that's why I, you know that's why i like like altman movies and stuff cuz you're just like those obviously never you know they have plots but they're yeah. never like they're always like ambling through the plot or even like I don't know. I'm trying to think like all the good all the movies I like that are like 70s movies where it's like even when they have like a paranoid thriller plot line, there's still like a scene of someone just like brushing their hair or something, you know, you're like, well, I feel like you, you I mean, I play all these little games to try to keep my stuff with story because I feel like that doesn't come naturally to me. And like one of the things I always try to do is I ask myself, like, what, what, what? question is this putting into the audience does this scene like give the audience a question in their mind and it can be like wait who who are they talking about or like what are is this person preparing for why are they doing this and then you can answer that in the next scene but if you answer that question you have to ask another i think that's sort of like a plot engine that i think about sometimes whether or not it's it's funny because we had to write tarantula so fast that like any highfalutin stuff like that <laughs> went out the window because I had we had so much work to do in such a short. I think with all TV, you have so much work to do in such a short period of time that you hope that like you've thought that stuff so much that you're doing it on some kind of subconscious level, but really you're just like trying to get the work done. Yeah, totally. I think that's obviously a big difference between writing 
fiction or, you know, on the internet and something that has to go into production. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with things that go into print, at a certain point, you're just like, okay, yeah, it's going to be what it's going to be. And then, like, go to the next one. Yeah. Well, I, I, I and I think that's really healthy. Like, a deadline yeah. is super I agree. important. And, like, at a certain point, like, one thing I always think is that instead of reworking the thing that you're working on now or, like, if it feels done enough – all these lessons that you've learned by making it, don't redo it and apply those lessons to that. Like apply those lessons to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Because then you have a bunch of stuff and then your work is getting better, hopefully. (laughs) I don't know. Instead of you just like shine one object over and over and over. Yeah. And then. I think what I liked about blogging for a long time was that kind of ephemerality of like it's got to just be done and like Mm -hmm. whatever you wrote that day is like you posted and then it's Mm -hmm. done and like you could go back and edit it but you're not going to uh but there's also something where I that's like what I really need to work on in stuff is just like having the stamina to go back to the same thing every day Mm -hmm. until it's like actually done to work on something yeah I mean you know it's funny to finish Sawara like I just kept thinking of it as I didn't know if anyone was going to read it and and uh, now now like through my website, even though I've only self published, I've sold a couple thousand copies, which I feel like is a, su- a success for that weird and of a book, especially self published. You know, even though it's been a, like twelve years or what have you. But um, I just kept thinking of it as like a punk album, and like if people don't like a chapter, like it's not a big deal. Like there's twelve chapters, <laughs> there's twelve songs. Like they like one's gonna be all like crunkled up and not that somebody's cup of tea and one will be super short one will be long like like just get it out and you know was that your first novel i mean i wrote one as a high schooler that was terrible <laughs> what was it about it was about um it was actually a lot like tarantula <laughs> it was a bunch of people who lived in a trailer park and all their stories and then at the same time there was this um this Albino dwarf. It's such a high schooler book that had had, had moved <laughs> into it's a creek. It's only your high schooler book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd moved into this creek next to the trailer park, and he was manipulating all the children in the trailer park to steal things from people and telling them they were. It was going to build this key. He said he was an alien. He's like, we're going to build this key that's going to like call the mothership and we can go to space. <laughs> and then the, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and then they finally build the key at the end of the book. And then the weird, like the thing you're left with is like, it's a hundred percent explicit that he's manipulating these kids, but all the things actually do fit together. And he's actually surprised by that. And then the book just ends. That's great. It sounds a lot what better. What was it called? Hambone, because that was the uh, the center of the uh, key was a handbone. <laughs> it just feels like your style is just so purely formed, and uh, it's just so immediately recognizable to me. Um, and it is kind of like maybe that's that's the key is that it's like the the trash assemblage of yeah. the putting all the handbones together to make the. <laughs> The Hambone Pyramid. Yeah, hopefully that it unlocks fits. the universe. <laughs> um, we were talking about aliens a little bit too. Mm-hmm. You have had a long, a lifelong fascination. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you I, think that's because you're from the desert? Mm, yeah, I also think it's my age. I feel like every artist I know in their mid to late thirties grew up with like unsolved mysteries. I think that was like 
we all watched that and it was like a lot about aliens. So it made us think <laughs> it was presented in a way that seemed legitimate. It's so funny when you think back to that seeming legitimate, like some dude in a trench coat walking through the fog. The 80s were so weird. <laughs> they were. That's something it's hard to explain to millennials. Yeah, well, there was also no internet, so if yeah. they told you something was true on TV, you just had to, like... You had to go to the library and, like, try to find a weird book in the weird occult section of the library that would, like, yeah. explain aliens. I was lucky because they had the whole, or a lot of the Man, Mystery, and Magic volumes. <laughs> Those and, are great. Yeah, I, I own them now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my cousin found them in a thrift store, and... and he lost a bet with me, and I got to keep them. <laughs> did you want it? Did you think aliens were real? I still think they're real. You still think they're real? Oh yeah. Let's let's uh. What what do you think? Did you see Annihilation? I did. Yeah. Did you like it? I did, but I've already kind of forgotten it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about aliens a lot. Yeah. Uh, and do you do you feel like aliens have been to our planet? Yes, I do. What makes you think that? Um, I'd probably just because it's more fun to think. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It seems like a toss-up, so <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think if there's like any evidence. Well, see, because my theory of aliens is like I've read a lot of Whitley Strieber, and like I don't know if I trust him or not. Um, but his like latest book was just kind of like his theory of aliens, which weirdly is like very in sync with Twin Peaks. It's like there's a realm of beings that are either from here or from somewhere else who are interacting with us. It's like it's like an Islam, like the jinn or in Christianity, angels. Like I just think like I just get this sense that there's this other entity that comes and interacts with us sometimes. That you think that's like what the uncanny is? Uh, the uncanny and you mean in general? Yeah. Like the feeling of like something being. I've I've experienced a lot of supernatural things in my life that are like confirmed by third parties. Really? Like what? Um, Sorry, I'm being the skeptic. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I read someone's mind in my dreams. Um, <laughs> Go on. And, uh, and it's one of those moments where there's just sort of like. Either there was like a weird level of some subconscious communication going on with me and her. Or or something supernatural happened. But basically, like, I was at work, and I'll change the woman's name. Her name was, uh, well, we'll call her Jane. Like, so I was at work, and I'd had this dream the night before that Jane and I were in, like, a horse-drawn carriage on the way to a haunted house, and her boyfriend <laughs> wasn't there. And I... I met her boyfriend once, but he didn't really make any kind of impression on me. He just seemed like a, a fine person. And uh, I said, uh, I said, hey, Jane, where's your boyfriend? And she said, oh, I had to break up with him. His arms were too short. And I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> you know, when I woke up, I was like, that's so funny. So like in, at work in front of everyone, I'm like, hey, Jane, I had a dream um, – you broke up with your boyfriend because his arms were too short. And she went completely white and, like, pulled me aside into an office and was like, I'm actually considering that. And <laughs> I've only told my mom because I feel so superficial. And I've been talking to my mom about it a lot, but I've been lying in bed and, like, measuring my arm against his. Why? 
And his arms are a little short, and I, I'm really unattractive. I find it really unattractive. What? And I, I think I'm gonna break up with him. <laughs> That's Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Because his arms sometimes his arms bend back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, all of my psychic dreams have been about hands and arms. That's the other thing. What? Carson, maybe you're the alien. Maybe I'm an alien. Have you ever considered that? How much do you know about your origin? Uh, as much as the rest of us. What's your first memory? Uh, uh, my first memory is that... Um, is it being sent on a ship from... No, but I had a very intense dream about... Uh, being on a ship, uh, alien ship as a kid. Okay, so you definitely, that was your recovered memory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, in the dream, it had like a narrative. Like they actually took me and my friend aboard and who was spending the night at my house. And we, we do you want to hear this? Dream? Yeah, I do. So we went, um, this is pretty creepy actually. But so I was probably five and my friend was spending the night and I had a dream that this egg came down in the backyard and a hole opened up in it and a little man came out and he had a big head. And I remember the weirdest thing was that I loved him because like – and I loved him like my mom or dad at that age where like your love for them is so all-consuming that I felt actually like a sense of like cheating on them. Like I'm like I'm not supposed to love anything else like my parents. This is like I feel like bad about this but I can't help it. And then it took me and my friend aboard this egg, and we flew to this city on another world that was under a bubble. And there, he, I remember the alien told me there's, like, radiation coming at us, so we have to live in these bubbles. And we were walking in between a building on a bridge. The, the buildings were connected by bridges. And my friend freaked out and just put his elbow into the little man's back, and he fell over the bridge and died. And then, like, we were taken – by like these security guard uh, aliens to this room with these kind of elders, you know, and it was like classic like pools of light in the darkness. And they were like, we were going to let you guys in on a lot of crazy stuff about how the universe worked, but you're fearful, so you can't have that. And so they, we, they put us back in the egg and we went back and fell back asleep at my house. And uh, my friend didn't remember any of that when we woke up, but I – I went in my closet and I drew it all out because I didn't know how to write yet, you know? So I made like a pictograph of it. And then the crazy thing is, is like many years later, my mom made me clean out my junk-filled closet and I found the pictograph and the the little man looked a lot like a gray. And this was before uh, like grays were in pop culture. And you were five. And I was five. Because in the 85, I don't even think communion was out. Because communion was the first, like, the first gray, that book cover, and that was, like... So it wasn't something you had seen. It just came... Here's... Okay, so what if aliens came, but only during the 1980s, (laughs) and they only visited children under the age of six? That'd be a good group of people to visit. Yeah, because then, you know... No one would believe them. No one would believe them. (laughs) <laughs> and then they all become adults. It's like a Stephen King book. <laughs> yeah. They all become adults and they all realize they were abducted by the same group of aliens. I love alien stuff. Yeah. It's, I mean, I I watched a documentary a while ago that was on Netflix. I forget what it was called, but it was called like The Man Who Saw Alien, The Man Who Saw UFOs. Mm-hmm. And it was just about a guy in Monterey who 
was a UFOologist and who uh, was sort of just like so enthusiastic about it that all he was just like a, like an interesting weird weirdo guy. It's mm-hmm. like everybody knew him. Everybody was like, "Oh, that's Donnie. He's always out looking for UFOs." Yeah. But then the documentary was really sort of about uh, the gentrification of Santa Cruz or oh, that's Monterey because really cool. he was like. Uh, the it, you should watch it. It was good. It was like the big thing that happens is that there's a crop circle appears, and he was like, "See, there's a crop circle just appeared. This is proof that they're communicating with us." And then the crop circle turned out to be like viral promo for Intel. Mm. It was like a microchip. It was a crop, so a annoying. fake crop circle of the microchip, and he was like very heartbroken about it. But I it hate was also, that viral marketing shit. Yeah, and he had been in like a punk band in the like a weird, you know, a mm-hmm. Central Coast punk band uh, that was called like you know Kill All Cops or something. Whoa! Um, so then it's just sort of about how like you know like no weirdos are going to be left in like weird beach towns in California. Yeah, weirdos are, you got to find, they got to find somewhere else. I think LA is done. That's actually, I'm moving to Burbank. Oh. uh, Because I'm so sick of this like Euro wannabe bullshit. Yeah. I like that you're like, LA's over. I'm moving to Burbank. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know it's very adjacent, but you know, Burbank is still, it reminds me of 2002 LA. I know. And it's like very weird in 50s and and no one's going to go David Lynchy. But. Uh, I was talking about this on my other podcast. Burbank is also a center of the alt right. Uh, oh man! Because I think because you know how there's kind of like that weird uh, undercurrent of like white flight people still in some parts of the valley and like I don't know parts it of well LA. Enough. There's just like that that thing where you're like, oh right, like white people who love the 1950s are sometimes like, what are they nostalgic for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. So there's some guy who has like an alt right podcast who's like based out of Burbank. But I don't think I'd call it a hub. I mean, no. it's like mostly Latino and like, yeah, I mean, and really old people. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm counting on you to like transform it into uh, an art cool place no way i hate cool places (laughs) it's already really cool i like um do you go to movie world uh yeah i love movie world yeah that place is the best it's like a it's like one of the last used bookstores in la i feel like and it has the coolest worn down signage yeah and and it has just like great stuff always my friend said the guy is closing it supposedly but he just keeps being like whenever like whenever i feel like it I'll close it. Speaking of cool stores, uh, my my girlfriend is from Augusta, Georgia, and we were I was there with her, and I went into this used bookstore. I didn't look at the name of it or anything, and it had all this awesome stuff. And I'm like, what is this doing in Augusta? And then I bought this like I found this guide to like old horror magazines. Like it was a price guide from pre-internet, and it, but it was very comprehensive. And then as I was buying it, the guy at the cash register, who was probably in his, like, late 50s, he opened it up and was like, that's my magazine. And it was Psychotronic. And do you know that magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the video guide. Yeah, they're awesome. And and then I walk outside, and the store's called Psychotronic. And he, like, no way. moved back or I don't know if he was always based there. But he moved there? He opened up a store Okay, there. when you said you were going to leave L.A., I thought you were going to be, like, to move to, like, Augusta, <laughs> Georgia. And you're going to... Tell us all what the cool the cool place to go to. Well, I mean, I think like 
I don't know. I need my I need my TV jobs. Yeah, I'm, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, not unfortunately, because I really like Burbank and I no, really I, like I, part, parts of LA a lot. Oh yeah, I have fantasies about like moving to Van Nuys because mm-hmm. I love Van Nuys. I love everything over there, and I and I think it's like. Like, that's where, like, all the work gets done. I know. You know. I mean, I grew up there, so it's also, like, for me, a little bit of it is moving to the valley would a little bit be giving up, I feel like, because mm-hmm. it's, like, you know, it is just literally where I grew up, and I love it now, but I also don't live there now. I always say to my boyfriend when we're moving, like, he's always like, what about the valley? You're always saying you want to live in the valley. And I'm like, yeah, but not now. <laughs> like, Yeah, well, like I said, I'm <laughs> a little older. <laughs> so at a certain point, like, you realize... There's a lot of things that when, and not that you're like a kid, but I remember in my 20s seeing like guys my age walk around in these crummy clothes and like they're all worn out and they bought them when they were in their 20s and, or it's like clear that their girlfriend just bought them some clothes and because they weren't there to try them on, they don't fit well. (laughs) And now, and now I'm that person. And when you're, when you're in your 20s, you're like, it's so uncool. But then you get older and you're like. Actually, that's a much cooler look. No, nothing's cooler than being washed. <laughs> yeah, well, like, uh, yeah, and, like, just, like, not worrying. I don't know, like. Not caring. Yeah, and in, 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 in a way that's just, like, you're, you're actually comfortable. I have that, but it's, for me, it's more like that thing where you go from being, like, weird art girl to, like, crazy old woman. <laughs> you know? Where I'm like, yeah. yeah, if I'm wearing, like, a cape. Like, I wear a lot of weird stuff. I yeah. wear a lot of, like, pajamas outside. And then sometimes you're just like, oh, what would this look like from the outside yeah. to someone who's not me? Do I look like the pigeon lady? And also maybe I want to be the pigeon lady. You want to be the pigeon wanna lady. want to be the swamp witch. I think that, uh, yeah, you just want that stuff. I mean, or you just, I think the older you get, you're just like, I'm done with cool and I just want comfort. Yeah. You know what I mean? One thing I do love in L.A., though, too, is I love, like, weird older people that are still really committed to being weird because... I know what you mean. But there's also some of those looks that bum me out. Like, the, yeah. like there's a lot of people who are like, I'm going to be the next big hair metal guy. Well, that's in the Valley. You still see those yeah. guys. One time I was at a bar and a guy literally came up to us and was like, hey, where, do you know where, like, the rock club is? And we were like, 1985, Link. <laughs> Not even on the Sunset Strip anymore at this point, you know? But then the, the thing is, is like I say, like, I don't like the that. But you love it. Look, I, I think I like it. I appreciate it. And it, and it's not even, it's so, it's so superficial. It so doesn't matter at all. It's like if whoever, whichever of those people are cool, if I knew them, I'd like the cool ones. And that's what I find so funny about, like, any... Philosoph- any like overarching philosophy about groups of people is like not not to I don't know this maybe is like philosophy 101 or, or, or sociology 101 or something but it's just like nice people are great and assholes suck yeah that's and, like, it like every group of people has both in them <laughs> that's all it is and, and it's like it's, it's it would be so comforting if you could be like but this whole group is assholes and yeah. it's like yeah, no, just the assholes in that group are yeah. assholes. Most people are fine. Most people are fine. But assholes are loud and want to be famous, and so they're loud and famous. So all the commentators, like, on both sides of everything are a bunch of fucking assholes. Yeah. Usually. No, well, it's people that are like, look at me, look at me. Yeah. But I also find that comforting about LA because I'm like, I never feel guilty about looking at people, you know? Mm. 
like when you're in other places and you're like, oh, oh, and then you're like, this is rude. But here it's like everyone is like a little Checking bit on out. display. So I yeah. never feel guilty <laughs> about looking at them and making judgments. And usually my judgments are like, hey, that looks cool. Like, yeah, I'm very open minded. Yeah, I was funny. <laughs> I used to be really judgmental when I was younger. And and then I made my buddy Jack. He hung out with a lot of people who I probably would have judged their style and been like, not my kind of person. But then like I'd He'd be like, we're having dinner with this person. I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, oh, that person's You're really like, nice. They're perfectly nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was like, oh, none of that shit matters at all. Um, let's wrap it up with one more. This is a hot topic I wanted to ask you about. You did, um, I called it a meme because I realized when I was thinking about it that it was kind of, it was a meme. The way it was phrased. The way it was phrased. But you, um, you posted on your Instagram something about people in their 30s who are into memes. Two into memes. Two into memes. Or really into memes. Uh, and I felt I felt subtweeted because <laughs> <laughs> I uh, totally love memes. I, I I think the thing about I was thinking about it because you talked you said we we're going to talk about this. The thing that I find it's sort of like people in their fifties trying to find the next cool band. Yeah, it's just it, we're it's we missed it. We and missed it, but, but it's like a fascination with something we'll never truly understand. But that's like that's where I live. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, I like wanted to know what adults were up to, and now yeah. I'm an adult, and all I care about is like, what are the kids into? Oh man, I can't figure it out. With the memes, I like, I love the memes because all the good ones are made by like teenage girls mm -hmm. and they're really funny and also just like politically savvy like there's yeah. there are some bad memes and i find the like like some of the memes do totally bypass me like all the arthur memes i'm like that's the thing where i'm like i'm too old for the arthur oh, I understood cartoon. That one. i understand them but i'm just like i don't have any nostalgia for yeah like, yeah, yeah totally. there was a point when it shifted to like cartoons that were like of the generation below me and i was like i don't I didn't watch these cartoons. I understand the Arthur memes, but I didn't watch Arthur. Mm -hmm. uh, but I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like that I there's something, they're, they're from the uncanny, the alien realm of something I can never access. You know what's funny is, well, I just feel like... Because I don't wish I was born then, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't have selfies Oh, and yeah. like cameras until I was like out of college. Well, it always makes me really confident I'm not going to be out of a job. I feel like I'm in one of those jobs where like young people aren't going to have the attention span to do it. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be like a bunch of like awesome writers because it's like, I, they, th there's like a new way of producing stuff as in No, blips. I think that that it's just like the people who are really good at it would also be good at long form. Some of them, mm -hmm. not all of them. I, I don't, think totally disagree. You totally disagree, but you draw like, like you could draw like one, like a single panel joke, right? You know, like. Yeah, but I mean, okay. I mean, I think that some of those people, and I've, I've worked with some of them, are all, also great writers, but I think it's a coincidence. Okay. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think it's the same thing where it's like some people are good on Twitter and that doesn't mean anything. Mm. They're just good on Twitter, you know, and it doesn't transfer over. Uh, but I feel like some people are just going to be smart and funny and that will just be like a way that they 
show their smartness and funniness. Well, what I'll say is that I stopped tweeting as much because I felt like I was training my brain to do that blip joke yeah. thinking, like these self-contained jokes yeah. versus like the big difference between a good show and a bad show. Like, I think the Andy Griffith show being a good show. The best show. Family Guy being a bad show. The worst show. Is <laughs> is that one is just like you're laughing because you know Andy and you know the other characters and you're like, ah, they would say that. I lo- I, I'm making new friends. Seinfeld's like that where you're just like, ah, George, George would do that. You know, George is such yeah. a goofball, my you're little right. buddy. And then... And then the other is just like a string of jokes and it's so soulless. And I like... totally agree. And I totally, that was what I hated about Family Guy. And also I would be, and like when it was, because po- that got popular when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where people would talk about it so much that I just had to like train myself to like never talk, tell my real opinion about it. Because I was yeah. just like, I'm going to say I hate it. And then all these people will be like, why? And then I'll have to talk about it. Yeah. And then they'll think I'm a killjoy. And I'll just go not talk about it. Well, it's nihilistic. And I, I think that's the thing. Well, it's, it's like... that thing too where it's like the jokes are detached from character. Any of the characters can do anything at any time. Mm-hmm. And that means there's like no reason to invest in anyone. Well, and they're also very mean. And they're very mean. And it's hard... There was that South Park episode that was about, like, what are the difference where everybody tells Cartman he would like Family Guy. And he's like, no, there are, like, subtle differences in our humor. Here's why <laughs> that they're bad and, like, we make sense. But he was it was right. It was like, yeah. that show has nothing to do with anything, but it's, like, free-floating racist jokes. Yeah, well, and it's also this, like, form of racism that's, like, really bothers me because it's, like, if we... We're not really making this well, type of joke. Well, I feel like that it's, it's paved hiding the way behind. for all the garbage that is happening now. But obviously, that was what always bothered me about the whole 2000s, like Vice Magazine aesthetic, was this idea of like everyone knows we're not really racist yep. or sexist, so we can say whatever we want, and it's a joke in air quotes. And then it turned out that like they all were really racist and sexist, obviously. Well, I think like at the end of the day, like and 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 I and and this apl- <laughs> I this applies to both sides but i think i notice it more on like the political side i'm not on if that makes sense that this whole like it's okay to be mean is like like it's even like making fun of trump's looks is like i'll get a chuckle out of that but i actually you're feeding the darkness like his looks don't matter well that was what happened whenever a trump meme would go around you know what i mean Mm because like not even like meme memes but like the thing where people would just like retweet a picture of him a billion times and do different jokes like caption jokes about it of like i'm thinking of like the one of like him and mitt romney having dinner went around a lot and Mm -hmm. i was just like every time you like reproduce his picture you're like doing what he wants. Even now we are. Yeah. That's Just the danger. Just talking about it. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be like there's so many times I want to like tweet against something and like and my, you're like my tweet means nothing. Well, I've never publicly said I don't like Family Guy because I always t- and well, I because you're in the adult animation realm. And, and it's, it's okay. I mean, it's issue. okay. I don't think he'll whoever that feelings that would hurt would ever listen to this and if they did it's not like we said anything except we think the show's mean yeah but i would always badly animated that's my opinion well it's it's (laughs) it's staged in a way that's not dynamic at all it's that hannah barbera back i mean but again Mm -hmm. that's its own style yeah moving on well and 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 it could probably succeed in spite of its style if it had like uh, a point of view and like a heart but like my main issue with it also was that it was like too close to the Simpsons uh, 
in, like if it had been any other format, it mm-hmm. would have been less like, hey, this is like The Simpsons, but like with a heart made of acid. Yeah, exactly. You know, like no heart. Well, and so like up until now, anytime I wanted to like talk about that show or think about it, I literally would like take a deep breath and go work on Tarantula because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I need a. Like, I literally consider that show, like, the foil of Tarantula. I'm like, I got to do the opposite. And, like, there were times where even I made jokes that I didn't try to use it too much. You don't want to, like, be the opposite. It's a dumb way of doing something as a reaction. So there were jokes that lived in Tarantula that could live in their universe. But I tried really hard not to do that kind of joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's, so. it's easy also to do stuff like that because it can get a laugh sometimes. My thing about memes is that what I've seen happen with the memers, because a lot memers? of them, memers. <laughs> is that a new word? I mean, <laughs> they really are uh, mostly teenage girls that I follow mm-hmm. or girls in like their early 20s uh, who got really into memes. I think the first person I knew that made memes is my friend Darcy Wilder, who's my like my little buddy. Uh, she's a youngster. She's a youngster and she made good memes. Um, but a lot of the people who make memes, it turns out are like mentally ill and make a lot of memes about making jokes about it. Like Mm -hmm. they're like depressed Mm -hmm. people who are like, and then the the memes start becoming about like, I'm compulsively making memes because of my depression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, they do have a community like with each other. And do you think it's like a help healthy coping mechanism for that? Kind of, yeah, because it's like they got more surreal. They got like increasingly more surreal, and then at a certain point, they just become like totally absurd. And that's when I really like them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's like anyone who got popular doing memes then got like bored of doing memes and was like, I want to like push this to like the limits of this form. It's just such a simple form that it's like interesting to watch people watch it kind of like. And then I've seen a lot of people just be like, this isn't a meme account anymore. Because also people are like, I got popular for memes, but like I also would rather like you be interested in me as a person. Yeah. You know, they all have like personal accounts or they're like, this is my meme account, but follow my personal account. Uh, And then a lot of them are just like. I don't care about memes anymore. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's maybe it's already run its course. Yeah, so maybe it's like it's like pogs. It's a phase. Yeah, yeah. But then I'm also just like memes are just propaganda and there's just good propaganda and bad propaganda. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, is there any good? Pro- I feel like anything you can consume that quickly is probably bad news. What about like a painting, though? Um, well, that's not a meme, right? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to read the medium is the massage. I'm pretty sure that like that's it? the memeiest. Are you kidding me? Well, he, he I think he Marshall coined... fucking meme McLuhan. Well, no, he co- didn't. He coin the term in that book. Did he, t- he coined meme. I learned meme from reading Wired magazine in oh, the nineties, really? like a little nerdo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a term for. I mean, it didn't. Now I think it just means specifically like a square piece of art with some text and some photo there's nothing sadder to me than like a co-opted meme like no, when like when that, like corporations try that's to do memes funny too, when it's they, like the most embarrassing i think that's thing also ever. what i think is interesting about it as like a little McLuhan nerdo is that it's like the way that corporations try to like jump on things like the tide pods thing watching the oh life cycle God, of the tide pods so thing because it started as a joke among teenagers yeah but it was like there were actually some babies like died from eating Tide Pods. Ba- oh, little tykes. Well, because they look like candy. That's the whole thing. Is yeah, they look yeah. like delicious. And so I didn't know they 
they actually died from it. That's yeah, so actually, sad. some kids did die from it because it looked like candy, and then kids found out about that and started doing jokes about the Tide Pod challenge about like eat five Tide Pods yeah. to win the challenge. And then adults thought they were being serious and put out all these ads being like, please do not yeah. eat Tide Pods to be cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it just like it went to the corporations doing jokes about it and kids were like so over it by that point whenever when, whenever anything is like whenever a corporate it gets to that point where like even pr people at a corporation think it's a good idea you know that it's just so played out and well tired. i love like people make fun of like the army tries to do memes on do their they? twitter yeah they try to put out like viral videos and stuff and you're just like come on you're the fucking army <laughs> like, you're not <laughs> gonna be cool with the kids my most popular tweet was like one of my dumbest jokes of all time. Oh, like, it always is. That's the thing that's so funny. Is I like, just went viral for the first time and it was like the dumbest thing of all. Mine mine was like, well, mine's what I call a math joke, which is like, because whenever I'm sort of, I think like the best jokes you can't explain. Yeah. And, there, and a lot of times it's just like the way the joke's performed or it's like an energy behind it. And it should be like, it shouldn't make, a good joke shouldn't make sense. And you can't, you shouldn't be able to explain or repeat it. You know what I mean in a way? I'm going to send you some good memes. I'm going to start okay. tagging you in the good memes and oh, tell boy. you. I'm ve- I have very limited Twitter access. <laughs> I, I actually have my friend. On Instagram. That's where the good memes are at. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm on there more. I'm my, just going to start sending you screen caps of memes like like adults, like 30-somethings. Just email who are it into to me. me. <laughs> I'll page you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like... Yeah, the uh, what were you the talking? math joke. Oh yeah, the, my math joke was I'm working on a new podcast about Blue Apron sponsored by murder, <laughs> <laughs> which is just I just switched two things. It's not. <laughs> That's a really good. But joke, it's just the though. old one two switcheroo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> see, but you did the magic trick where I didn't see it coming, even though. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a meme. You made a meme, Carson. I got a couple, uh, a couple thousand. I'm changing your last name lucky, to meme. Lose. Carson meme. The Carson <laughs> Mel meme account. <laughs> Maybe I'll make some tarantula memes. I just retweet. Right now, I just tweet like John. John Prine has a new album coming out, so he's doing a lot of interviews, and I just tweet the funny things he says. Oh, he's so good. He's the Buddha. Yeah. He's like our. He's like a living Buddha. Yeah, he is. He does give good interviews. I feel like he's like. He's very wise. Yeah. Well, is it like here's one of my favorite quotes of his. Like, I'd rather eat a hot dog than write a song I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about how like he doesn't have a great work ethic. We're gonna make a John Prine meme account. Yeah. <laughs> so the kids understand. Oh man, I'd feel really good about that if yeah. I could. I've. It's actually been really cool. I found his. Um, Found his music through a really hip outlet, which was like AV Club wrote an article about his first album. And they're like, it's the be- it's better than all his other albums, which isn't true. But like... All uh, his albums are, are good. Yeah. My favorite is a weird one. It's um, Common Sense. Have you heard that one? Yeah. And my favorite song of his is his weirdest song, which is... Uh, well, he tried to make an album that didn't sound like his others. And that's what's so exciting about I that I always one. like that. Yeah. And that song, Saddle in the Rain, is my favorite song of his. That's great. I was talking with my friend, my friend Caleb Horton, who I feel like you are very, you would be spiritual kin with. 
he's from Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. He's he's one of our people. <laughs> cool. Uh, and he was talking about some sort of later period Warren Zevon songs that are really silly. And I was like, oh, I love those ones. There's yeah. like one about the Beverly Center <laughs> called Down at the Mall. And he was like, I don't know about this one. I was like, that is such a good. I love just like when they're, you know, the time after because anybody after the like the buzz is over and people are just then you're just making stuff mm-hmm. that's i find that interesting well nothing makes like old artists good like more than a lack of big success i know and i always thought that those people were like comfortable with having a niche i think obviously i've been thinking about this more cuz i'm like maybe all of my interests just are really niche and yeah, like yeah. the things i like are not going to be like the things everyone likes because I just like what I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was always like, Warren Zevon's like cool with being Warren Zevon. And then you like read this book about him and it's like, no, he wants to be Bob Dylan. They all want to be <laughs> Bob Dylan. They're all a little bit annoyed that everybody, and even Bob Dylan is like, yeah, it's silly that it's me. Like, Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's it's like there's more, way more luck involved with all of that I stuff. I wrote something than... about Jimmy Buffett uh, last year because I like like Jimmy Buffett and also mm-hmm. I'm like he made a niche and he turned it into like an empire. Well I think you have to like come figure out a way to engage and, and have product and like that's why like that's the hard part. Yeah. For well for me like I just slowly was like nobody in New York is ever gonna publish anything I do. So I'm just gonna slowly build an online uh library of books and I have like I and can, you like self-published a novel and like sold it out of your trunk, basically, which is the how first I met one. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I read it, and I was like, I mean, it's so great. And it was the kind of book that I was like, I want to give a copy to everyone I know. Yeah. And I ended up giving my my first copy to my friend Taylor because he is from Tucson, mm-hmm. and I was like, you'll understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That well, self-publishing that book changed my life because I. I felt like a real writer and I thought I had to get published by the man to feel that way. But really, you just need like 10 people to be like, I like your book. And then you're like, all right, I'll keep doing this. It's the three, six mafia style of distribution. You sell the tapes out of your trunk until Mm -hmm. enough people pass them around that somebody wants to to press it or make something else of of yours. Well, and also the, the paltry sums that like a big publisher will offer you for a trade paperback are like a pittance. They're like a slap in the face. And I and now I've built something where I can just sell to my people and make as much money. So it's like they offer you like ten grand. Well, I love those paperback too because I love paperbacks. Yeah, I think that's another place that we probably are on the same the same page, so yeah. to speak. Is that you know I love <clears throat> books are obviously like they're still thought of. I guess it's more like high art than I mean that's why I like the internet too because I was like we're just writing stuff. Yeah, it just goes everywhere immediately, uh, and then I trusted that people would monetize that, and then they did, and then they stopped. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I like a trashy context. That's why I like yeah. YouTube, and that's why I like paperbacks, and like yeah, and because it's like you, you need to if you can like it in spite of its like form versus like the gallery where like a you know that's why dead... I like memes. Cause the... yeah, I feel you. I know what you're saying. It's super trashy and. And by the time it gets to the gallery system, which I'm sure it already has, then it's trash. Like, I don't want memes I know in a mean. gallery, you know? Like, I don't want Richard Prince, like, printing <laughs> some girl's meme and being like, it's my art now and it costs $5 million. That fucking sucks. But I like that it is, like, just, like, young girls, a lot of 
Yeah. You know, just like cool girls just being like, hey, my life sucks. I'm going to express it through memes. And yeah. I hate to think what I would I would have put out there, though, had I had the Internet as a 15. That's why we're lucky, though. We... We're so lucky. <laughs> we appreciate it. Well, you, we also got to experiment with like like gross and maybe mean humor and in private on like on like uh high eight yeah you know and then like you make that and you're like actually that's not that funny and it makes me feel like an idiot and i need to have a point of view before i make things because like yeah we had a time you know as much as i wish my like student films were on youtube because we like graduated right when youtube started so like mm -hmm. all my student films are on like dv cassettes that will yeah. never be seen but I don't I'm just glad that I didn't have access oh, to man, it and too. I'm fine with it and that's why I'm fine with like being old cuz I'm like I don't envy them that, you know. Well, the public the having to like live a public life. Yeah, like I, you should get a period before you have to do that. Yeah. One of my really good friends is um a YouTube star and his like entire <laughs> childhood it was like journal entries that made him really famous but everyone had just has access to his childhood and see that's weird to me yeah his name's dax flame do you know no dax flame. that Check sounds him like out. a youtube star yeah but it's like and a lot of people thought it was like a joke that he was like playing a character and sometimes he'll roll with that because now it's like he doesn't know how to handle that like all those things that happen to him are accessible so I can see also being the kid, though, who's like, I'm going to post everything and publish everything, you know, mm -hmm. and like find that freeing in some weird way and then later be like, did I want to do that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's now he's making documentaries about himself as an adult. That's and he's cool. like matured into like a really interesting person who's still, you know quirky in in a way that I think he understands more now. It also sounds like a really interesting thing to have a documentary about. Yeah. Well, I think someone might be doing a documentary about him, but yeah. then he's doing a documentary. He had an idea for an invention that he tried to like execute last year, so he's making a documentary about that experience because I think it was pretty challenging for him. But um, that's cool. I like documentaries about inventions. Yeah, I think you'll like this one. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we should probably wrap things up. Great. Uh, oh, wow. You. See, I told you I could babble. No, it was great. <laughs> that was right on time. Uh, I could talk about aliens for like five more hours. But... Yeah, well, you should. Th there isn't actually. I. And maybe like, you, uh, do you have a comment section on this or something? Uh, I have a Twitter. <laughs> Can someone tweet at Molly like good alien podcast? Because I've messed with a lot of them, but I haven't found a great one. You haven't found your Coast to Coast AM. No. Listen to my other podcast, Night Call. Is it about aliens? Oh, sometimes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's about a lot of things that I think you would enjoy. All right, I'm going to do it's it. It's sort of, it's like vaguely, it's vaguely occult themed. Cool. As as is this podcast and all podcasts. Everything is occult themed. That's what I like about podcasts. I'm like, you're just talking to someone, some weird voice in the dark. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I really like podcasts. That's why I think that's my future. I yeah. think I'm done with TV. I think you would thrive in, in a podcast setting, although uh, I do also like seeing visuals and characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, my idea of what to do with Tarantula... See, I can't stop talking. No, it's great. We can keep going. My idea of what to do with Tarantula is web series again. Cool. And then those web series will be a detail of something like 
because I like to invent products and machines and things. And regardless, there'll be like a detail that of a larger story that you can listen to the podcast about. So it'll be cool. like the cartoons will be the same, but then you can listen to like an entire 20 minutes about that. I was just reading about uh – you can also get all of Carson's books. I'm going to be your plug manager now. Thank you can you. get all of Carson's books if you're in Los Angeles at Secret Headquarters, the comic book store. Or uh, just go to CarsonMel.com. Or just go to CarsonMel.com and order them to your dome. And I think they're pretty promptly shipped nowadays. You'll yeah. get it within like 10 days or something. Cool. Uh, you should make some merch. I should probably do Just that. Make a <laughs> <laughs> make a tarantula character shirt. I don't think I own them right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gotta wait You'll a get couple there. of years. <laughs> so. uh, I saw something at the comic book store though that I was thinking about, which is like side stories that a lot of manga and and anime. It's like they'll have. I saw something that was a battle royale side story where it was like. A, a new graphic novel that like takes place in the world of Battle Royale at the same time as the events of Battle Royale. That's awesome. But it was just like a different group of students and what happened to them that you didn't see. And like that's like a whole thing in manga that you can just have like side stories and like mm-hmm. uh, I like I feel like Tarantula having just oh, yeah. continued continued adventures and side stories. I have a I have like a hundred of those stories that I didn't get to put in the That's show. Great. And mo- most of them were like, there was no way I could get them on the air. Yeah. So now I can just do whatever I want. Well, that's what's cool about Freeform Radio. Totally. Which is a, a, the thing I really enjoy doing. So please also support this show on my Patreon, uh, Molly Sleazy Friends. Thanks for listening and thanks for coming on, Carson. Thank you for having me. Molly Sleazy Friends.